have had at this U.S. Open torrential rain under a roof, plenty of debates about bathroom breaks, and we also have the most welcome sound, raucous fans here at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. But amid all this noise, all this disruption, all of this action, the best players in the world have been doing what they do best, and that is producing moments of magic. We've seen upsets, we've seen battles royale, and some big breakthrough moments that we might remember for a long time. It's been an awesome first week of action here at the U.S. Open, and I'm delighted to say that as well as hearing from the rising South African tennis star Lloyd Harris and the American Francis Tiafo later in the show. I'm Brian Clark, and I'm joined to look at it by the man I've been with side by side all week long, it is my fellow U.S. Open radio commentator, Mike Cation. Mike, how are you? I'm good. It was very fun when we sat down, and there's a massive crowd here for the the podcast recording. I had no idea. Is is that why they were here? Just to set the stage, we are under the overhang of the Arthur Ashe of Stadium. Trees. It's it's Sunday evening. It's been a cool on and off rain day. But there was a big crowd out here because, as you said, we were going to record the podcast, but also Daniil Medvedev was doing a television interview. I think we're going to talk about Medvedev a bit as we point. go on because he's looked pretty good. He's all right right now. Into the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open for the third straight year, runner-up 2019, semifinalist last year. And he is at least a quarterfinalist this year. But there are other names. We know Daniil Medvedev's name certainly here on North American hard courts. And there's another name who's actually in action right now. And it's a name that's been bubbling up for a while in the tennis community, but it maybe not is a name that the public at large that came to this U.S. Open knew. Well, they know Carlos Alcaraz's name now because he absolutely wowed the crowd in Ash, beating Stefano Tsitsipas. But it was maybe the way he beat Tsitsipas that won him so many fans. It's just such an aggressive attacking style from the 18-year-old. I think what's fascinating to me is the power the sheer power, Brian. I know Hawkeye stats said that he's hitting the forehand three miles per hour faster than the average male player. The backhand is five miles per hour faster than the average player. And he does it with style and flourish. And getting the crowd engaged in that match, and I, I know the, the bathroom break issue is a, is a thing, and so Stefanos certainly has the crowd against him, but he... Carlos has this ability right now at 18 with this energy, with this raw power that he's going to win over these crowds very quickly, especially here in New York. I was watching his second round match. It was on court six, one of the outside courts here against Arthur Rinderknecht uh, mm -hmm. from France. And there weren't there was some rain that morning and there weren't many people on court. I think the first two people there were Juan Carlos Ferrero, <laughs> Alcaraz's coach and myself. And I, I tweeted this online and I said this has the feeling of seeing Bruce Springsteen in Asbury Park in 1971 before he completely erupts and yeah he won that match against Rinderknecht that earned him a ticket with Stefano Tsitsipas and now we'll probably never see Carlos Alcaraz on court six again because he I think is already a star. I think you're exactly right it's we have of course tennis Twitter tennis social media and they've been bubbling and, and really on top of the Alcaraz train for quite some time, obviously picking up his first ATP point at the age of 14. But it is now getting to that mainstream, especially here in the States. So I think the Bruce Springsteen comparison is absolutely perfect. And what was the next one that you used in his next match? That it's Springsteen at Giants Stadium in yes. 1985, when right. he is this global megastar. Right, and pulls filling. Courtney Cox up onto the stage yes. for a dance. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle. A yeah, dance I, in the dark, I believe yes, it was. Exactly yes. right. No, it's. Yes. I, I think you're you're dead on with that. 
he's going to be one of the names that people know in, in tennis for many, many years. He's going to be, even for the casual tennis fan, he's going to be one of those names, I think, within the next couple of years. The alpha dog right now, of course, is Novak Djokovic in the world of tennis. He's come here with all the expectations, going for the calendar slam, going for the 21st major, and not giving much back. He's been very neutral throughout this first week. And in many ways, if you're the world number one, the best player in the world right now, that's all you need to do. You need to win the matches and get through to the second week. And the word that comes to mind is business-like. Yes. It, it, he's right down to business. It, the world is revolving around him right now. I, I would say yes and, Brian. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think it's getting as much attention in terms of the overall press as I thought it would. I think there's been enough storylines here at the U.S. Open, and on top of it, phenomenal matchups up and down our draw sheets, the, the tennis itself, the focus has been there as opposed to just the storyline of Novak, can he get the, the slam? I think that makes a major difference that the tennis has been so good. Yeah, so we will see Novak against a player. We've mentioned Carlos Alcaraz as somebody maybe the public at large didn't know, but they know now. I think you can add Jensen Brooksby mm. to that list. And he was even more of an unknown quantity yes. than Carlos Alcaraz. Well, he had that win here against Burdick at the U.S. Open. And then he was supposed to go to college. He was going to college to Baylor University in Texas and then got injured. So he never played a match for the Bears. And then, of course, the pandemic. So that impacted things. But he got on the challenger circuit earlier this year and things started going well, beginning, I believe, in South Africa. That's correct. He won his first challenger. But when you watch Jensen Brooksby play tennis, and especially when you group him with these other Americans, he really stands out, but it's more because of what he doesn't have. There's no monster serve like Riley Opelka. There's no big athleticism like Francis Tiafo. It's that grinded-out mentality that comes to mind, and you almost have to watch it develop for a while. You saw it over Aslan Karatsev in his third-round win. Brooksby is just a different guy, it seems to me. He's unique especially amongst Americans. Here in the States, obviously, the, the discussion point has been when were we going to see an, an American Grand Slam champion? It's been that discussion point for many, many years since Andy Roddick has retired, right? Jensen Brooksby is different than all of the Americans over the last five or six years. You mentioned Francis Tiafo, Riley Opelka, even Taylor Fritz. He doesn't care about any of the off-the-court stuff. All he wants to do is win. That's it. It's very much that Ferrer mentality, almost, in, in terms of just the doggedness that he has on court. He has incredible depth from positions where he should not be able to generate incredible depth. He has created this transition game seemingly out of nowhere. He has this unique two-handed backhand slice and volley. And I keep going back to it. I did a podcast with him myself we talked a little bit about some of his challenger victories when he won titles back-to-back -back weeks on a fast hard court in Orlando, Florida, and then on green clay in Tallahassee, Florida. And he told me that he just didn't care about what people were going to do against him because he was going to be able to solve it. He was going to be able to figure out on the court and he trusted in his ability to solve the problem and finish each match and he was just going to outwork his opponent every single time. Even hearing that, I underestimated him completely. I just didn't think that would ever be enough at this level so early in his career. But he's done it time after time after time, coming back against Aslan Karatsev, the incredibly physically fit 
Aslan Karatsev in winning that fifth set, the fourth and fifth sets, essentially on one leg. I have underestimated his brain for three years now, and I give him all the credit in the world because he keeps solving things, he keeps physically staying in it. It's really remarkable. We saw him reach a final in his first ATP tournament. That was in Newport earlier this year, and then he backed that up with a semifinal run at Washington. But now it's a big step up. We don't want to go too much into an X's and O's preview sure. because this will date, but Novak Djokovic is a big step up. But you, you say one word. We talked about weapons. His brain, it's mm -hmm. a weapon. How much can it help him against a guy who create, creates challenges like we've never seen? We just mentioned it when we talked about uh, Novak, the, the idea that there have been times where he gets frustrated and gets a little bit um, over-emotional on courts. We saw it here one year ago, of course, with what happened with that, that lines person famously a year ago. When it comes to Jensen Brooksby, he is going to use that. He is quite cognizant of that. He will be grunting late after his swing. He will take bathroom breaks that will stall Novak Djokovic. I don't know, Brian, if he has the firepower. We mentioned, obviously, incredible depth time after time, but Novak can match that and add a little bit extra to it. I don't know if Jensen's going to be able to overpower him with anything off the ground, but I will say Jensen is going to do every possible in his arsenal to try and get inside Novak Djokovic's brain and if he's able to do that anything can certainly happen and that is a night session match on Monday Labor Day first match at night so it'll be the night crowd uh, it will be a pro Brooksby crowd and it'll be a crowd that I would imagine he'll kind of earn more support from as that match goes on but like I said we don't want to date too much because who knows what could sure. happen between now and then one thing we didn't expect really to see Jensen Brooksby playing Novak Djokovic in the second week of the U.S. Open we also did not expect indoor matches to be getting rained out at this U.S. Open <laughs> but that is what we saw from the remnants of Hurricane Ida swept through here Wednesday and it was frankly it was scary here in the area around the uh, New York City and New Jersey it was deadly uh, more than a dozen people lost their lives so that's obviously the important thing but it was scary to see the rain come through as much as it did. It flooded Armstrong because the way Armstrong's built, it's a fantastic new venue, but it's got open sides. And usually it's fine at keeping out the rain, but when it three inches of rainfall in an hour with howling winds, that rain comes right inside Armstrong. And that was just an incredible night. I know you were here on site. Mm -hmm. I was fortunately home by that point. What was that night like for you? It is hard at times to focus on the broadcasting, as you know from your years of broadcasting as well. When you see everything on social media, we had some other televisions on that were watching local news, but seeing pictures of subway tunnels getting flooded, seeing pictures from just outside of our broadcast venue with standing water of 12 to 18, 18 inches, I found myself concerned about how I was going to get home that night and our hotels, without giving away, I know, listen, we don't need the groupies coming to our hotel, right? Of course, yes. be too much, but we're a mile and a half maybe away from, from the site. I was really concerned that we weren't going to be able to get home. On top of it, yeah, you certainly knew that there were going to be those people who were going to be losing their lives because of the amount of water so quickly. It's hard to stay focused on the tennis. We tried on air to just do that. And I think we did an okay job, but you can't do it. We're all human, right? And you just worry, A, about your own safety, 
B, about how you're going to get home and then see the other people who are being impacted throughout the New York metro community. Brian Clark here with Mike Cation. We are at the U.S. Open. That was a day we will never forget. Something of a, a footnote, changing gears a bit, in the, the first week of the tournament. Of course, it began in the first round match we were most excited about. That was Stefano Tsitsipas, the third seed against the 2012 champion Andy Murray. And, yeah, they got into a five-set battle. We also saw Steph leave the court following on the controversy from Cincinnati where Sasha Zverev wasn't happy about that. Andy Murray vocal about it during, after, and beyond the match. It's a loophole. It's a gray area of the rule book where he gets off the court and the amount of time becomes the question, is there a way to make a more uniform policy? Yes, it shouldn't be hard. The problem isn't a bathroom break. The problem is just the length of time. And I, I think that's that's why I'm so flummoxed as to why this is such a discussion point. I understand that not every court around the world is going to have a bathroom immediately available right next to the court. I get it. I've been to enough challengers where you literally have to walk that quarter of a mile just to get to a bathroom, a place you can change clothes. It is pretty simple at this level, especially at the Grand Slams, where there are bathrooms immediately off of the court, five minutes. You get five minutes. It doesn't take you longer than that to change clothes and use the restroom. It doesn't. Sorry. Five minutes. Done. End of discussion. You want to add a couple minutes because the bathroom's a little bit farther away? Sure. We can make it seven on some of those courts. It's up to the tournament referee. But it's quick. It's easy. We say five minutes. Done. It's funny, the match match of the tournament maybe so far, the Alcaraz-Sitsipas match, yeah. there, there's been this big, it was brewing, the Sitsipas bathroom breaks, and I was not calling the match at that point, and I was walking around, and I, I checked the score on my phone, and I saw that uh, the set had just ended, and then all of a sudden, I was right near Ash, I heard this cascade of boos, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, that, that must be what's happening right now. And, yeah, but Alcaraz won the match, so I, I've mercifully ended this storyline, yes. at least for the time being. The other thing, when he took that break, I should mention, they did steer him right to the yes. bathroom that's right off the court in Ash. It hasn't ended because Jensen Brooksby's doing it. Against Karatsev, two, two bathroom breaks that were seven minutes plus. It doesn't need to happen. It can be five minutes. It can be five minutes. I, listen... I didn't know until last year when there were no fans here the just extent of bathrooms that we have around here when we were able to walk around. And That's excellent point. There's a bathroom within 100 feet of every single court. Five minutes. Done. So we move on from there. We also move on without the third seed, Stefano Tsitsipas. He entered this tournament as the ATP match wins leader. He had won 50 on the year, but then bowed out to Alcaraz. But it, there was a feeling coming in even though he had gotten to the French Open final, that he wasn't in that rarefied air mm -mm. of the guys who could challenge for this title. And I think there, there are three people. It's Novak Djokovic, as we sit here Sunday evening. It's Daniil Medvedev, who's already through to the quarterfinals. Djokovic to play tomorrow. And so is the third member of this group. That's Sasha Zverev, who has not lost in a while since uh, the Olympic gold medal, the Cincinnati title. Anything we've seen over the first week that has changed your opinion that it's going to be one of those three guys? No. I did Zverev's match against Jack Sock. And I, it was four sets, and in the fourth set, Sock had to retire with a right groin injury. Jack Sock played about as perfect of a first set as I've seen over the last couple of years. 18 winners, three unforced errors in that to, to take Zverev out in that first set before the injury. 
And I still found myself saying Zverev's going to handle this. He is at the peak of his level right now. That being said, I have doubts about him doing it until he actually does it. Medvedev is the guy for me at this stage. I just don't think he has that fear that would creep in um, in terms of a guy who's taking out the guy going for the Grand Slam. I don't think he has that fear. I think Zverev still, there's maybe that little hiccup in the brain that might pop in, but I, I think you're dead on. Those are the guys that are going to threaten him at this point. Medvedev's draw looked pretty favorable when yes. it came out, and I would argue it's gotten even more favorable, especially with the shocking result today. Botik van der Zanskulp, the five-set winner over Diego Schwartzman, but he's not the only surprising name into the second week here. We saw Oscar Atta, who has been a big name at tournaments this year, of course, at Wimbledon, where yes. he was up two sets to one on Andy Murray. He was up two sets to love on Zverev at the French Open. So right. Atta is maybe more of a recent name than van der Zanskulp. You work in the Challengers, Mike. Right. You know the talent level that exists here. Do you look at this U.S. Open as more proof of how deep tennis is, even outside the, the top 50? I've had so many conversations this week alone here in New York with challenger-level players, Brian, who just say, yeah, we know we're good. It's just been a matter of opportunity. The salaries, if you will, the wages that people 150-plus are receiving in terms of the, where they're at financially is just not enough. They have to be desperate and hungry and have to play 35, 40 weeks going from country to country. Who, who was it? I believe it was, uh, yeah, Bodic at one point earlier this summer went to five different challengers in five different weeks in five different countries. You have to be desperate, and frankly, it doesn't allow you to play your best tennis. I've seen players like Liam Brody, who's a very good example, this year finally decided, I can't do this anymore. I need to play some ATP events. He's having the best year of his career because of the fact that he's got confidence from playing at the Challengers for so many years and having a winning record. He says, I can do this. I can beat anybody. And it shows. You go to every single ATP tournament, and you're going to have one or two of these players who say, I'm ready for this level. This is going to be the stage. We just need to find a way to allow more players to have a reasonable cost of living adjustment, if you will, here in 2021, so that they're able to play with more freedom when they come to the big stage. Talking about financial freedom, just Bodek van der Zanskulp today alone, he had entered this U.S. Open with $486,000 in career prize money. He qualifies. He did a great thing here at the U.S. Open this year. Where they boosted the first round prize money. Yes. So it's those lower-ranked players who are going to be more affected. It's $75,000 just for the first round. So he knew he was leaving here with $75,000. Well, he knows after his win today over Diego Schwartzman that he is leaving here with at least $425,000. That almost equals his entire career prize money in a little over a week of really hard work at the U.S. Open. That's incredible. I also want to give the U.S. Open a lot of credit for boosting the first, second rounds of qualifying. The salaries went up as well. The ability for these players to hire a coach who can travel with them a few more weeks a year can make all the difference in the world. So when you think about $75,000 just for qualifying, making the first round, that's massive because that can, again, allow maybe two or three more training blocks with a coach somewhere out on the road. Those things make a big difference and credit to the U.S. Open for saying we're going to make that cost of living adjustment here in qualifying this year.
It's been a, a really nice summer for American players. Now 14 men in the top 100 in the ATP rankings and three now into the fourth round of the U.S. Open. As we sit here Sunday, Francis Tiafo, who we're going to talk about and hear from in a moment, plays Felix Auger-Aliassime tonight, but Jensen Brooksby and Riley Opelka, who is had a, a fantastic summer, of course, with that final in Toronto. Is it just finally time? that these guys have emerged? Is it seasoning? Are they making the most of the opportunities? These are players you've known for some time. Yeah. What is the magic formula of this summer? I think it's the maturation, frankly, of the the group of four, if you will, that being Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, and Riley Opelka, finally getting to that point of 23, 24 years of age. We've known for five or six years that this group was going to get to some type of a high level within the ATP. They're there. They have pushed a guy like Jack Sock to get back into his level, making the third round here. On top of it, now you have this younger group, Brandon Nakashima. You've got Jensen Brooksby. We've mentioned Sebastian Corda, who unfortunately got a little bit, I believe it was food poisoning that cost him to retire in his first round match. You've got this group now underneath the 23-year-olds who are pushing you know, Taylor and Riley, and, and they're pushing them a little bit. So I think it's just this collective group at this point, the depth is phenomenal. It's just that matter of can one or two of them go to that next level. We've put so much pressure, Brian, on saying that in order for, for greatness to be there, you have to win a slam. Is that fair to David Ferrer, Joe Willifred Songa, all of these players in the last 10 or 15 years who haven't done it? Um, the American men's tennis scene is very, very good right now. It's very, very good, and I think it's just going to be a matter of time before one of these guys gets into the top five, and now that you're seeing maybe Rafa and Roger at the very tail end of their career, there are going to be some more opportunities, and I think it's just a matter of time at this point before an American man wins a Grand Slam. Francis Tiafo, probably the most entertaining American win of this tournament. Maybe he's the most entertaining American man, too. When he beat Andre Rublev after 2 o'clock in the morning, it was a match you called, Mike, just kind of intoxicating. When Francis is going like that, you can't take your eyes off of him. But to see him win a match in that fashion, he's shined on the big stage before. Beat Tsitsipas at Wimbledon this year, Australian Open quarterfinals a few years back. But to lose that fourth set, and then come back and outlast Rublev in five. That, that felt like a stepping stone for Francis. 100%. It's exactly what we were talking about during the match. He'd been 2-10 in five-set matches in his career, and notably had lost some pretty big ones here, including in his opening U.S. Open, I believe it was 2016, a five-setter that he lost to John Isner out on grandstand court, where I believe it was two sets to love lead in that one, or two sets to one possibly. But he needed this one to just get to that next level, the ascendancy for him. It has always been a matter of focus for him. You mentioned about him being one of the most entertaining players. He needs to get to that point where he's entertaining, but he can also be businesslike on the court. That one against Rublev, especially in the fifth set, was a combination of both that worked for him because he found the first serve again after it kind of disappeared for a while in the fourth. He got the crowd engaged and on his side and then used it properly. And that was a really big step for him. As Mike and I sit here, Francis Tiafo is a few hours away from taking the court against Felix Auger-Aliassime for a berth in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. Can I interrupt you just for a second to say, you look at Felix Auger-Aliassime, Yannick Sinner, also in the fourth round right now. We haven't even mentioned them 
And these are top 15 guys. I mean, the stories this year at the US Open are ridiculous. And some of these guys who realistically, Felix, Yannick Sinner, semi-final, completely within the realm for them, possibly even a final. And, and they're not getting any attention because it has been so dramatic day in, day out here. It's been incredible. Francis Tiafo has been a big part of that. You mentioned that professional approach, and that's something that he and his coach, Wayne Ferreira, former ATP star, have certainly worked on. And Tiafo, like any player of his age, is going to look up to the big three of Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. He wants to win. He looks up to them. But he also thinks there's the need for a new entertainer, especially for men's tennis in America. There's a king's in the guard coming obviously pretty here soon. So it's not just about great tennis. I think I think those three, four guys had all, you know, different things they brought to the table. But And I want to even put on the record here, I'm not a guy who only cares about entertainment. I want to win just as bad as the next guy. And I think sometimes that, that gets lost in translation. But, you know, I, I love this game. I, I enjoy you know, playing playing Ugo and Barrow and, you know, court 10, the atmosphere is going crazy and, and we're out there just having a full battle, like, and having my team and my guys go crazy and, and the fans, like, interacting with me and, you know, going and, and, and really getting behind it. I mean, they they put, they pay their hard-earned money to come watch and I want to I wanna make them have fun and, and I want to compete and, and show them a good time. Yeah, it, it looks like you're always enjoying yourself and I, I don't know that you get nearly enough credit for just that, that smile, what that can actually bring you know, we use the word marketability and building a brand, but y you have something special. You, just the enjoyment of of playing is pretty rare. And I, do you appreciate that? I don't take these days for granted, man. Especially like, let's be real, man. My story, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing all these things I've done and even achieved the things I've achieved. So, you know, when I look back, I want, I want to, I want to know, man. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my career to the fullest, and you know, I, and, and but on the flip side, I maximized to the fullest, right? So. You know, I like playing, you know, doubles matches on side courts and it's back because people want to come see me. You know, I like, but I, I like, I like the crowd feel that I bring. I think it's, I think it's great. And, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's very much so appreciated. I know one of the things that's always been kind of a, uh, one of the hurdles for you is finishing in straight sets uh, because you are enjoying yourself out there and having a good time. And it, maybe that concentration slips just for a little bit. How have you been working on that lately? I think it's definitely been better. I think I, I've, I've definitely been on a good, really good track. I've been playing some great tennis. Obviously, um, you know, like in 2019, I got to my career high. And, you know, there was, it, it, you know, there was, that was a different stage in my life, right? I mean, obviously, I was super young. You know, I achieved so many things. I got a little complacent there. And now, you know, I'm on stage trying to get myself back, and I'm playing great tennis. But, you know, I'm running into some tough draws each and every week. And, but, um, you know, I have a good team around me right now, and I think I can get back there, but it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy getting up there in the first place. And so, you know, I'm taking some tough losses and some good wins, but um, I'm not moving as fast as I would like to, but I'm definitely in the right process. Yeah, and it's the thing about it is you always do it with a smile on your face. I mean, it seems like just the perspective on life is still right where it needs to be despite without, things being tough without, without a doubt I mean without a doubt obviously I mean it's, it's always better than an alternative no matter how bad no matter how bad the tour is going if I'm losing matches I mean I could be doing you know I mean, we're worse things right I could be doing like you're playing all nine to five and you know working paycheck to paycheck you know I'm still you know the grand screaming thing well very much so well off being able to take care of my family like so people, you know, talk about Francis Tivo not doing enough. Well, I mean, he's he's able to take care of himself, his family. He's able to, you know, fund fund a lot of people that that he genuinely cares about. So, um, 
perspective is everything, and, and I always have that in the back of my mind. It's 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 all about paying it forward. I was given so much in this game, and um, I want to pay it forward, and I want to be you know a guy who's not just good at hitting forehands and backhands, like who truly gives back to his community. Let's talk a little bit about your forehand. <laughs> There's that smile that I'm used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is unique. There is no other way around it. It is it is your forehand. Everybody knows when they see that forehand that that's your forehand. It's always kind of been one of those question marks, right? Like it's such a powerful shot, such a weapon. Players will go through it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing right now to make sure it, it stays yours and where you're comfortable and maybe kind of shoring it up so that there are no breakdowns there? No, for sure. I mean, it's definitely improved a lot over the years. Obviously, guys guys got to run me out there a lot, and it's definitely improved over the years. I've, I've you know... It's always been a great shot. It's always obviously an interesting shot. You know, I see little kids trying it out. I'm like, no, nah, don't do that. <laughs> you, you stick to the normal C-shaped forehand. Don't, don't, don't do that. Um, but no, I mean, honestly, I think it's one of the better shots on the tour. You know, when I'm confident in it. But it's all about being confident in, in you know, um, and putting some time in, especially when I'm running out wide. It's more of a mindset. Not, not don't slap out of the corners. You know, shorten it up when the ball comes quicker. So it's just, just kind of those little things. And I think it's, uh, it's showing up quite nicely. Wayne Ferreira was not exactly the uh, same stylistically when he played. And I don't know how much you've actually watched, like gone onto YouTube and watched his. Uh, what is he doing specifically on that forehand to kind of shorten things up? And on, it feels like he's getting you to move forward a little bit more no, no, as well. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne, Wayne's definitely getting me to play much more aggressive, using my speed not just to, you know, to actually be proactive you know, and not just reactive. Right, so I think, and that's, and that's been showing. You know, obviously you saw Wimbledon, and so that's been good. And but I mean, as far as far as the foreign, it's uh, just meeting it out in front and, and having a shorter a shorter take back. You notice I don't swing as you know mm-hmm. super big as, as I as I did before, um, especially when the balls come quicker on quicker services and stuff. So, and and I've been you know managing it much better um, on those quicker services. So. No, it's been really good. To be looking at the Tiafo forehand going forward as he continues to work through that with Wayne Ferrer. We're sitting here right now and Brian Clark with Mike Cation. Entertainment, we keep hearing that term, Mike. And this week at the U.S. Open, there's no doubt it's been entertaining. And a lot of that has been the drama of that five-set match. Modern entertainment, social media, short attention span world, does the five-set format still work? Oh, boy. Yeah, we're, we're going to go down that road, today. are we, Brian? Yeah, we are. I, he, my opinion has been for the first week uh, of the sport, I think the five setters work a little bit better because of the fact that there's always other things to pop in on in terms of what you're asking about, in terms of attracting that younger audience. If, if you don't want to watch the third or fourth set, you can go over to court seven and pick up something there. I think it's a little bit harder when it's the only match that's on. If, if you're talking about, you know, back-to-back semifinals and one of them goes five and a half hours, it's challenging for a 14, 15, 16-year-old to get into it. But boy, this is such a tough question because ultimately people are going to get offended no matter what you say because some people are so passionate about it. I'm fine either way. I think the tennis, the drama is going to be there whether you go three or whether you go five. You're going to still have a final set that allows for that incredible drama and I'm fine with it, especially at the slams. I agree with you. And the last thing you said is where you hit the nail on the head, especially at the slams. We're Americans. I've, I follow a bit of cricket. <laughs> and the test cricket format over yeah. four or five days where you have to be up there for hours on end, maximum concentration, that's a skill in itself. It and is. I think to, to watch that play out as this kind of drama over days on end, 
We, people talk about attention spans and wanting to shorten things, but everything falls into that boat. I mean, yes. there are people here in the U.S. that think a, a two-hour NBA game is too long. Right. And, it's, and it's the fact is the matter is that you know, teenagers are watching the highlights of those games. Yes. They're not watching a full two-hour mid-February game between two scuffling teams. So, right. uh, yeah. The best of five format, it has its flaws, but there's no perfect solution. Correct, because you're not going to ultimately take a even a three-set tennis match and condense it to one. Right. That doesn't, there's enough, then there's so much luck that factors into it that you kind of lose the ability just to have good quality tennis here. So I'm I actually at this stage completely fine with how we've set it up, essentially three sets for most of the 250s, 500s, Master Series, and then the slams are just that unique beast that do have the five setters and i maybe it makes me a traditionalist but i'm very happy having the five setters especially through that first week where the drama builds you you hear everybody say oh there's a fifth set starting on seven there's a fifth set starting on five where are we going to go and then you see this packed stands because it's four all in the fifth they've been going for four hours and 45 minutes who's going to be able to outlast the opponent it's been just an absolutely incredible week of matches in general, but five set matches and one winner of an epic five setter in the first round was Lloyd Harris from South Africa. Big summer, of course, with his win over Rafa Nadal a few weeks back. He beat the Olympic silver medalist Karen Hachinov Harris into the fourth round as we sit here. He actually just walked by our podcast a little while ago coming back from a hit. Uh, we did not stop him for a chat. <laughs> He's got a dual coaching team. Anthony Harris is back in South Africa. The new addition to the team is the X-Man, Xavier Malice, and he was an entertaining, energetic player when he played his professional tennis. Mike, you sat down with Lloyd Harris in Cincinnati a few weeks back, and you asked him, did any of those characteristics from Xavier Malice rub off on Lloyd? It's hard to see that he had that personality back in the day <laughs> on the court with how chilled, how laid back, he is now yeah like it is like day and night when i go watch back some of his matches i'm like that's not the same guy like what's going on here something is not right um but you know uh, yeah he for sure he had a lot of charisma he had a lot of flair very energetic guy and a great player a great uh, i mean he also i mean huge forehand you know the i mean just absolutely a beast of a player and it's been nice it's been nice to get a a perspective from fairly young coach a player that's played a lot of the guys that I've been playing um, and he's had some really good input on a lot of the people I've been playing you know like playing against like Rafa the other day playing against Kay he's played these guys he's played a lot of a lot of these like players in their 30s or close to their 30s and uh, I mean especially in those situations he can really add some valuable info um, and off the court also, I mean, even off the court, just, you know, talking about some situations and in tournaments and how to manage things now in between tournaments. I mean, a guy that's done it for that many years, he has some good advices on, on how a professional sh should be acting um, when you're getting closer to the top of the game. How have you balanced the, the two coaches? Because I, I know what Anthony, the stability that he brings to you in terms of your game, the knowledge of how much you've grown. How are you balancing the two? It's been pretty good. Um, to be honest, uh, I would say Anthony has done slightly more weeks throughout the year. And the nice thing is they have great communication and Anthony knows what works for me. We've been doing it for nine years. <laughs> you know, we have, we've built, I mean, a seriously strong relationship beyond what a, you know, a, a, a player coach relationship is. Um, and, you know, he's, talked with X and and X knows the routines he knows what I like to do and now with X he can just kind of 
add a little bit on top of that you know so it, it's kind of it's kind of good in the way you have your stability you have someone that knows how to get the absolute best out of you week in week out and then you have someone that now knows how to get the best out of you and you know try and add some more input and try give some more ideas that me and anthony can use also when we're traveling etc etc i mean we always talk among each other and we we're just trying to improve all together i feel like for a lot of guys it's not easy like people you don't seldomly see people do that but so far the trio has kind of worked for us it's been pretty nice and i i know you had an incredible start to 2020 pre-COVID, I mean, you really seemed like it was right there for you. You lose six months plus, right, in that momentum. And how did you get it back here in 2021? Obviously, the run in Dubai is, is the one that kind of stands out for everybody. But how have you gotten that mojo back after losing the momentum? Yeah, it was tough. It was tough being back home and not many opportunities to to really practice as much as I would like um, but you know I worked a lot with my my physio is also my con- conditioning coach and you know we just try to build a little bit more on the body build a bit more on the fitness and I felt like that's a part where I was really still behind some guys back on the tour and especially even at the start of 2020 when I when I did play well that was one of the things that was still holding me back a little bit and then when I came out towards the end of 2020 I felt like that was already a lot better and my tennis started getting better and and that's where I really started to capitalize a little bit on on the situation at the start of 2021 and like you said it's been a you know it's been a pretty solid year a um, little bit of ups and downs with some niggles and injuries and stuff like that but there's definitely been some serious highs as well so overall I would rate it as a as a pretty good season and you know my condition my tennis everything is feeling as good as it's ever been probably you mentioned the word opportunity and it brought me back to a conversation that you and I had in Stockton, California. It was myself and, and you and we were, Ruan was there, your, your doubles partner and friend at the time, and we were having a conversation about South African tennis and specifically how difficult it has had been for you and Ruan and other South Africans of your generation to make it because the futures weren't there, the challengers weren't there. This year, there were a couple challengers early in the year. I understand there's one later in the season as well. How important is it for you to make sure that those opportunities are going to be there for the next generation of South African tennis players? Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great. I, I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a long time. I've been looking at all these countries that are producing all these players. It's the countries that have the tournaments, they have they have the opportunities for the players. That's a word that keeps popping up. But the fact that there's now a few more futures, a couple of challenges, like you said, that is amazing. I mean, especially for up and coming players, um, playing those futures levels to get a wild card or two into some challenger events, that's a huge step forward. I mean, hopefully in the future, we can even go as far as to get a 250, a few more events, get some more futures. I think it's all in the process of happening. And that's amazing. That is. That is the best news South African tennis can have. It's not about how much money the federation can have at this point. The more tournaments, the more opportunities we can have because we're so far away from everything else. It just makes the traveling and gives so much many, so much more opportunities for the younger players. And, you know, I'm just out here representing South Africa, I feel like, every week. And I'm just trying to show them that there is a pathway and there is a way to do it from South Africa. And I think that is, that's pretty big, you know. Like, there's so many South Africans that can now say, look, Look what he did. He did it from South Africa throughout his whole career. So there is definitely a pathway and there is a way to do it. So let's try and follow what he did. Before I let you go, your, your lovely girlfriend, Bianca, 
she takes you and makes you go, it's very clear, to all these incredible places in every city that you're going to. I don't know how else to put this. Are you part of the group Boyfriends of Instagram? How, are you having to take a lot of photos for her right now? Because I, frankly, with your hair right now, I think it should be the other way around. <laughs> oh man. Um, I think we should definitely be getting a lot more photos together. I think mm. that's that's somewhere where we, we've been lacking a little bit, which we're both a little bit disappointed in. Yeah. I think I'm a great photographer, so I take, I mean, the best photos of her all the time. I'm not huge on photos about myself, okay. so I'm not too worried about that. But uh, I should definitely do a better job of getting photos of us two together. But now with having such a big team, as we discussed, we have someone to take those for us, finally. So I think this is, frankly, I think this is the, the destiny for Xavier Melise. Oh. <laughs> was a top 20 guy uh, yeah. back in the day. But to be able to take photos of you and your girlfriend in all these major cities. I mean, I, I can't see any better job for Xavier right now. I mean, this, this is the place to be. New York, that's the city to do it in. So, so many opportunities coming up for, for some great snaps. So, I can't wait. Lloyd Harris, just a nice guy. And you hear that a lot, Mike, especially as you work your way through the tour at different levels. A lot of these players, especially the ones that people maybe don't know as much about, are just nice people mm -hmm. experiencing success. I think a lot of it, when you think about the challenger level, especially in futures level, you have... This is going to sound like a, a very weird way to get to what you're talking about, Brian, but at a lot of these lower-level tournaments, you have this situation where it's local families who are providing housing for players, and those situations, you're kind of forced to learn how to have conversations with people you don't know. You're forced into some uncomfortable situations meeting, okay, this is a 50-year-old person, and I've never talked to a 50-year-old person who I don't know from a different country. So you get into these spots where you have to learn how to manufacture a conversation, a polite one, a friendly one, and then you start having these friends are all around the world. So when you come to these events, sure, he's South African, there are not too many South Africans out on tour, but Lloyd has made these connections with so many people around the world, he feels like he fits in everywhere. On top of it, he's just, his family is great. I've gotten messages from his family before. He's got a great girlfriend who supports him as well. Yeah, he's well-loved, and, and yeah, you're forced into uncomfortable spots in random countries around the world. You kind of learn how to make friends wherever you go. And he's winning a lot of fan support as well. Nice year for Lloyd Harris. Okay, so what the good tennis we're going to see. We saw some great tennis the first week. I think the second week has a lot to live up to, and I think it will deliver. So the situation as we sit here Sunday evening, that's where we're leaving it. We will be here for all of the action. You can hear all of the action on U.S. Open Radio. It's been an absolute blast. You can listen to U.S. Open Radio through ATP Tennis Radio. The 24-7 channel is simulcasting the broadcast throughout the tournament. Mike, this was a lot of fun. I think next week's going to be even better. I think so, too, and maybe next week we can actually enjoy a, a honey deuce, the signature cocktail here at the U.S. Open. Open. Celebrating 15 years, the Honey Deuce. We are celebrating an awesome podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Clark. Enjoy the tennis.